So this week, we're ramping up some spoop. Ooh, spooky, scary skeleton. We're going to talk some spooky very video game news. We're going to talk some spooky Stranger Things. Some spooky mystery murders. And baseball. <laughs> That's right, we're doing a thing. Before we get into things that are going to derail us from our normal topicness, let's at least cover some video game news, Nancy. Gameness? Yes, some video game news, but we're going to keep it spoopy. Yes, because spoopy news has come our way. It is Spooktober. That's right. This episode is the first episode that posts in Spooktober. Yes, the witches are out, leaves are falling, and all of the spirits are just like, Giving me nice warm hugs. It is That's the best time right. of the year. That's right. It's J and C witch season, guys. Let's get your witches on. <laughs> Let's go. Witches don't get stitches, eh? <laughs> so, to start us off, let's talk about a little weird announcement. I'm uncomfortable. In Death Stranding, <laughs> you'll, you'll have your little jar baby's voice come out of your PS4 controller. Not just any PS4 controller, but a jar baby, jar colored PS4 controller. And that's creepy. I'm uncomfortable and upset. I don't like that. I hate it. That's, that's on, this belongs on the thanks I hate it. Because that's how I feel. <laughs> they didn't need to do this. Yeah, people are upset that the baby couldn't be seen inside the new controller bundle, but that's maybe what why he I maybe it's like king's cake. You have to cut it open and find the baby. So, question then. <laughs> Real good question for you. Yeah. Does the baby make normal baby sounds? I hope You know what? I don't know which is worse. <laughs> I thought about it for a second. And if it's a full-on talking thing, is able to no. have like real conversation? Nope. No, I'm talking about just coos and but cries and whimpers. If my controller starts crying uncontrollably because it's acting like a baby, I would throw it in the window. I don't baby. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean... I just... <laughs> I, why did they do this? I didn't ask for this. I'm not okay with it. This game is going to be fucking fantastic. Why? It's going to be weird, and now I re- wish you released it during October. This would have been the perfect game to play in October. But it's going to be the perfect game to play anyways, because it's Kojima. You know, speaking of Kojima, people keep finding more stuff in the PT hack. For- PT is something... That I wish we could have gotten. But no. Yeah. No. Konami had to do the Konami to Kojima. Yeah. And it's unfair because have, this game looks abs- fantastic. Absolutely no idea what we're talking about by this point. The PT I'm t- we're talking about is the Silent Hills playable teaser, which was the game Kojima was working on with 
Konami when he was forced out, essentially. And he put a lot. I mean, holy crap. The way so, he programmed this game so to save, to save frames and space, people have camera broken the game, and you see that Alice is just floating there with you. Uh, behind time. you at all times. And the reason he did that was to save frames, because then he can just write a string of code that says she pops up here and then disappears back behind you when you turn. Right, so instead of having to render her in that Inch. moment, it just became the entire part and she just focused Which makes position. the game stream a lot smoother for you and play a lot smoother. Uh, this particular hack is about the bathroom area. I didn't like this one. There's two states in the bathroom. A version where the bathroom is partially filled with water and a version where the bathtub is empty in the trailer. Digging through the workings, there's a third state. Um, it only exists in the normal hallway bathroom, not the later maze areas. Um, so it is full of water and has Lisa's decapitated corpse in it. Which looks fantastically creepy. Oh, Kojima. Even the reflection in the water is gorgeous. And this is not something that truly exists, but I appreciate the people that go out and hack this trailer. Because that's I'm, how we learn about the followings. And you, you yeah. see what the vision of this game was, the more they dig into it. And it just makes you that little bit more mad. That I just wish that he got to make this game. This would have sold so much money. And we'd be talking about it for Spooptober. And the sad part is, is I know we'll never get it. Because Kojima's moved on. And you can't even get the PT anymore because Konami pulled it. Yep. They're like, no, you don't even get this. So it's whoever's had the game that continues to push it because they want it. It's an unsolved mystery for video games. <laughs> Spoilers. <laughs> or See how I'm foreshadowing? Foreshadowing. It's not spoilers. It's foreshadowing. No, speaking of foreshadowing. Yeah. Next week, we're going to watch a spoopy movie and talk about Very it. Very spoopy. I'm so excited. And if y'all want to watch along and give your own thoughts on it, movie's on YouTube. It's called End of the Line. came out in 2007. And this is one that Corey himself was like... Yeah, we're watching this. It creeped me out. And I'm sure it's still going to with with the premise um, of cultists essentially rapturing people with daggers. Yeah, that's still going to make me uncomfortable. Join us, brother. Join us. You see, that whole idea right there is just enough to shivers down my spines. The ending of that. We'll talk about it. No spoilers. So I'm giving you all the option. That you can watch it. It's on YouTube. I gave you the info. It's end of the line. Came out in 2007. And we will probably be talking through it with a lot of spoiler-heavy content next week. Because I'm going to have feelings. Because this is going to be the first spoopy movie 
I watch to get into the mood of all the glorious things Halloween. The second thing is we had talked about doing an anime review show with y'all, and we're still doing it. We plan on it. And I think we're going to start it with Helsing. Look for that coming before the end of October. Yes. It's going to be the best way. We're going to bring my love of spoop and Corey's love of anime and bring it together. Beautiful new segment. Yes. And we'll see how it tracks. But, you know, right now, I think it's time to get a little strange, Nancy. You just flipped this whole podcast upside down. Yeah. Can we just play D&D? No, I want to go to the mall. And we are back talking about episode two of Stranger Things season three, The Mall Rat. In this episode, Billy wakes up and has an existential crisis. Tries to kill Karen Wheeler in his dreams, apparently. And actually ends up killing Mm -hmm. someone. Meanwhile, Mike lies to Eleven. Eleven breaks up with Mike, and they're all at the mall. And Hopper does what he wants, because he's chief of police and got stood up on a date by Joyce Byers. But you know what? Let's talk about it. Yes. So, (laughs) it sounds to me like you have some thoughts. I do. Just, just based off your explanation, um, which I want to get into really quick, but sure. not in, in too detail. But I, my first question I'll pose to you is, is did you like season, the second episode more than episode one? Is it growing on you? I feel like episodes one and two so far could have been spliced together into a one-hour episode of their own with a lot of things that weren't needed through both of them cut out. Okay. Do you feel Um, that it's too much setup and not enough actual progression, which is why you want them in the same episode? Yes, because the progression only came in this episode really at the end. Um, Like, the way last episode ended... When, you know, Mike and Hopper are talking in Billy's car, it picks up immediately in this one with the Billy thing. Um, And that's fine. That's a good way to end that cliffhanger. But again, that all could have been done last episode. Uh, Mike lying with Eleven could have been done last episode and done the breakup in episode two as something suspenseful or what happened with Billy as something suspenseful or the exploding rat into pile of goop that crawls off in at the end of an episode as a cliffhanger. They didn't. So instead, we're left with an episode like this that comes in to clean up from episode one. Literally, episode two's purpose is to clean up episode one. And I feel like because these were both written and directed by the Duffers themselves, that these were supposed to be set as just one long view. And it probably would have been a two-hour premiere on network television. Right. Because what I'm seeing here is that the Duffer brothers basically wrote episodes... Well, wrote and directed, I should say. Episodes one and episodes two, and then also seven and eight. <laughs> so they they are, the, we'll call it the Duffer Brothers sandwich. Well, and that's the thing. So usually when you have the same writers writing multiple episodes and those episodes are airing one after the other, they're meant to go together. 
Um, in most network television, it's either, you know, a two-part episode thing or it's an hour, two-hour premiere because these were, and I really get that feeling from this, that these were supposed to be viewed as one sitting into the rest of it. Yeah, because then, I mean, it does give a better opportunity for pacing. Episode in my two. Opinion, I'm sorry. Yeah. Episode two is going to be, was really rushed, in my opinion. There was a lot that happened, but also nothing happened. <laughs> and that's my feeling. Whereas episode two should have been episode one. They could have done, they could have cut a lot of the things out of episode one and put episode into it, two into it. What would you cut up, cut out of episode one to replace with stuff from episode two then, if you don't mind me asking? I mean, there's just, like I had said then, the Nancy Jonathan scenes in episode one were completely unneeded, really. You could have done all of that in episode two. And kind of just picked up with where they are with Nancy in the thing without an explanation of what it is because you know they're together doing something. And, you, you know, viewers are smart on this show. They'd have picked up she's working there, especially going to the editor like she did. Um, the scenes in the mall already shown like they did while there was some setup going back to the mall and being a focus. Some of those scenes may have been able to be cut out to include more time this time at the mall with their personal adventures. Um the scenes with Eleven and Mike in episode one to set up, you know, their relationship to just to see the dynamic completely change in episode two like this, it's unneeded. They could have done a couple to set it up and then ended the episode, like I said, with like a breakup or with Hopper like that. But that didn't need to be shown as much as it did. Right. You know, the scenes with Dustin, I think, could stay. They could have probably cut a few of the little bits between hand with them going through the house and all of the toys. They could maybe shortened that to fit more into the episode. But just small things like that that could have put this into it. Yeah, I do. I do say though that the the whole toy scene, even though we're supposed to be talking about episode two, but it's fine. The whole toy scene, I think, is a really interesting way to see how Elle is developing her powers still, right, even but though there's not like a looming threat. So even though my, it was supposed to be comical, I still saw some significance. And it's not that it's insignificant, but it didn't have to go on as long as it did. Well, they, could have, they could have taken 30 to 40 seconds out of that scene and literally just shown of you know the boys and, and Max waiting as he comes. They could have cut a, a lot of all the toys and him following it the whole way. They could have cut some of that. Well, wasn't say, that in reference to a movie, though? May, yes, but you'd get your same reference out of it either way. Okay. If you've Fair seen enough. the movie, you get the reference. It doesn't matter how long of a reference goes on. Fair enough. You know, it's most people understand, for example, Soylent Green as people as a reference from a movie without any context explanation to it. Right. Because that's so the beauty of references. And that's exactly and it. how they you work. Can, you can homage anything you want in film and do it how you want. People who know what you're doing and people who pick up on it will get it without as much time spent on it as you spent. And again, then you could have been able to cut in maybe some more with Billy or cut in some more with the boys or maybe the whole magnetism scene could have happened a little bit earlier in the series. Because my biggest takeaway from episode two so far is just it's 
trying to set more up and more up, but what it's setting up, we already know about. Well, yes and no. And I'll, I'll kind of argue you on this just because it's a different way. We understand that the upside down is something that exists, you know, because it's been the main, the main premise for the first two, but it's a different, it's a different twist on it. I actually really liked where this is going with the rat, like melting, because before I knew what was happening, I had the question of why are these rats melting? Because that's not really something that's ever been introduced into this world before. So it did leave me with some questions, even. I mean, to be fair, I watched the rat in the cage vibrate and called it exploding real quick. Oh, I mean, it was the sunlight cause. And that's the problem. What they've done is set it up so much that it's not suspenseful anymore. I already knew the sunlight was the reason that this was happening. Um, And it's alluded to itself multiple times throughout the episode by Billy in the sunlight. So it's the shows that connection, but you've kind of already figured that connection out before they needed to show it. Well, they have already established that that it needed heat too. Like it was a heat thing, and we're in the middle of summer, so sun is hotter. So that's more or less right. But what I'm saying on that is again more things that could have been put to where it makes episodes one and two two parts of the same. They again things that could have been cut out. We didn't need as much time spent on Billy in the chair. Like, we really didn't. No. We didn't need as much time watching a rat vibrate to blow up. We didn't need to see Jonathan Jonathan discover it, watch it, and leave, and then it slowly go back to the rat for a good 10-15 seconds until it explodes. We don't need that. Hey, he was trying to get the perfect shot. Well, of that, that, no, I'm not even so. talking about that. I'm talking about when Jonathan leaves the room, there is a good 10 to 15 seconds before the rat explodes to build suspense. When the smart audience already knows it's going to blow up. Rat's going boom. I mean, again, where time could have been saved. So then what would you have put in those others? Well, I know it's also to like cut it down to add into it, but... Again, I wouldn't put anything else into it. I would take these scenes shorten them to combine instead of having two hours of content maybe an hour and a half and it could have been one episode okay maybe once we start getting towards the end of this discussion i'll ask what you want from this but i'll wait until we get further into the series to ask that question so suspense (laughs) yeah we'll give you more suspense than the show does (laughs) i still think that they they still tell a good story though like it's i mean it's entertaining i watched it i didn't sit there play on my phone i i watched it after you know i watched justin verlander strike out three thousand on the year hey (laughs) but we're not not on sports we're on spoop right now we gotta stay on the spoop more on that later but look i'll be honest i i enjoy the story they're trying to tell I just think that they're dragging their feet where they don't need to be. And that makes me fearful that later in the, later on in the series here, in this particular in series three, um, they're going to rush through parts that probably need more time. Okay. I've seen all of it. I'm not going to comment on it. 
but we'll talk about it once we get there. Yeah, and I mean, and there's some instances in this where there's some rushed scenes. I think, honestly, they could have spent more time on the I'd have liked magnets. To see, yes, that's exactly what I was going to say, is <laughs> I would have liked to see more with Joyce and the teacher. Yes. Um, I think, because the concept behind the whole magnets not working anymore, it was it was different, because, like, season one, we had the lights, and... Season two, it was more heat-focused, I guess. So now we're on to magnetism. But we're, we're so, branching all physics here. <laughs> so, yeah. Now, that was... Now, I do want to... We'll go back to this. There is something I actually want to I wanted to talk about before we got into this, about the boys a little bit. To kind okay. of go back more into my thoughts on... You had asked what I would have changed or put in to make this maybe one episode. I'd have put Dustin calling Susie as the halfway point. Yeah, that would have been a really good halfway point because then that's where the mood shifts a little bit. And that's when it starts becoming more stranger things. So let's say you take this as an hour, as an hour and a half, right? So it's a 90 minute first episode, 45 minute mark. He calls Susie. The rest of this could have been done in 45 minutes. That would have just cut five minutes out of each episode. Because from him calling Susie to the boys, to the rest of the boys leaving, introduces the way the dynamic's going to work at this point, where Dustin's going to be on his own. And then immediately could have gone from that scene and just picked up with him at the mall seeing Steve. Yes. I love their relationship, though. All right. And I, I, that's the cutest. And there's a part of the whole series right there I have no issues with. I actually enjoy watching the scenes with Steve, Dustin, and Robin right now. I think those are entertaining. I have fun with those scenes more so than I do with, with a lot of the others. Yeah, I think I think part of it's intentional too. Um, it's the lighthearted right area. Now. Yeah, no, it is definitely <laughs> pushed as intentional for the lightheartedness right now. Um, but I enjoy those, and that 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 has me interested in what they're doing but watching mike will and lucas run around the mall to find 11 a gift and then get confronted after the fact doesn't do it for me they could have cut time there i don't know i kind of focused more on max i think they should have focused more on max and 11 and cut out the scenes showed the boys go in the mall let max and 11 have their screen time like their own screen time because those two as characters together don't didn't really interact at all during season two and they were forced to share that interaction time with the boys. Mm-hmm. I feel Eleven and Max are strong enough characters to be able to share a screen together on their own more. Oh, yes. and But part of that, too, was in the beginning of season two when Max was introduced is when Eleven was jealous of Max because she caught Max talking to Mike. Right. And like, but, caused her to trip and everything. So and I know there's always been a little bit of tension so but it was that's... nice for the bridge to be built and right and, and i don't for that to grow i just don't feel the boys in the mall were needed i think it could have cut with them knowing they're going knowing and pretty much gathering they're going to the mall to find something when will says you know D, which by the way poor will we're two episodes in and this show that's had D throughout all of it has yet to have D. i know and that's all the poor boy wants to do it's like he's He's been torch. He's been left in the upside down. He's been 
basically possessed. All he wants to do is play D&D with his friends, but no, they're too busy macking on girls now. Even Dustin's got a girlfriend. Who may or may not exist at this point still. Yes, who may or may not exist. So every, but, everyone's hitched up, and he isn't, and he just wants to play D&D. He just the wants poor to bean. Play. He does. He just wants to play his D&D. I don't um, blame him. I'm fiending for some D&D myself right now. That'll be next nope. week. <laughs> I know. We got one more week. I can make it through. But I'm not ready for what our D&D session has to offer us. Because, oh, Jesus. <laughs> but enough. Um, moving on. Um, we. I want to go back to the magnets. Yes, but I want to start before that. So Hopper kind of comes in, cock of the walk into the shop and basically asked Joyce to dinner. She reluctantly agrees after kind of pushing it off. And then as he leaves, the magnets just fall off and they won't re-go back on, which leads Joyce to studying magnetism and magnetic fields, which leads her to the professor. I call him professor, but he's not a professor. He's a teacher. He is. Just he, might science well just, teacher. He, he might as well be a professor. With how much he teaches, like a person. yeah, and also with like the way he teaches too, and like has like extra things for like the kids. He he does give professor vibes, but like a small town professor, basically. Yeah, because obviously Joyce is going to him for like all types of knowledge too, like local community college professor, right? Who like in last season had like a hot Asian girlfriend, like. And, like, I never got any more closure with that other than, like, my dude, Nux. And then like... this episode, he's in his garage listening to Weird Al and painting miniatures. And so does that resonate with you at all? Actually, a little bit. <laughs> a little bit. Because I'm guilty. Uh... I've done the same thing. I've sat in my garage and listened to Weird Al while painting things. Yeah, I doubt he was I, under the influence of anything. And if he was, it just was very good to them to not show the teacher doing it because people would be mad because this is 2019. Okay, yeah, that's something I want to I want to pause because Corey and I went on a Target adventure today. And oh. <laughs> yes, let's, let's talk yeah, about this for a minute. Because this is some bullshit, right? So we went to Target um, while he was on lunch and we were just dicking around and we came across some Stranger Things, paraphernalia, memorabilia, whatever you want to call it, right? Yep. And we were super excited because we were like, oh, this one's kind of okay. This one's kind of okay. We're talking about the hype around Stranger Things, all that good stuff, right? And then yep. we find the Hopper action figure. Okay, I'm mad about the Hopper action figure. Like, I'm still legitimately kind of mad that it's missing Hopper's most famous accessory. His cigarettes are gone. He has his alcohol bottles. He has two of them. Yeah. But not the cigarette. Like, I'm okay that they don't even have the hat. Because that was my first one, is because well, and, he... But he wasn't wearing the police uniform, either. Yeah, he was in his... Civvies. Magnum. He was in his Magnum P.I. look. Yeah, and... like, if he was in, like, if they had him all, you know, chiefed out, I'm sure he'd have his hat. Right. But it's the most ridiculous thing, because they also... There's something with Stranger Things cutting back on the smoking... Because people are upset that it's showing smoking, even though it's the 80s and that was like a huge thing. Like Mad Men had smoking all throughout it. Yeah. Because it was the 60s. Unfortunately, modern 
modern day thought processes on the things that they do in these shows, you need to realize that to make them period appropriate, that there's going to be a lot of things that aren't what are commonly accepted now. Not as many people smoke now as they did in the 80s. And you can't go walk into a restroom and spark up a cigarette. You know, you can't. I can't go walk into a restaurant down the street and light a cigarette up. There's not even a smoking section in most of them anymore. I did find one restaurant neat, kind of near us, but also in the boonies. Mm-hmm. And it's an IHOP. And they have a smoking section. Well, and like, I think the IHOP by me still does after a certain time at night. I think it's like after after like 2 a.m. or something that they still do. Okay. So... But. Um, it, but either way, it was but they're just a dying very, breed. <laughs> yeah, it's it's very hard to find. A lot of bars don't even let you smoke in them anymore. Some do, some don't. It gets frustrating when you go out to a bar and they're like, "Oh, you can't smoke." It's like, well, that's the whole reason I'm here is to make bad. It's more decisions. frustrating is when they take your vape juice at the door. Oof! Go back to last episode. Still salty about but, it. You know what? Speaking about Stranger Things and our Target adventure, I want to talk about the alphabet ball. Yeah why (laughs) like i understand that it's supposed to be the the alphabet that joyce put up in season one with the lights on it is what it's supposed to represent but it doesn't light up it doesn't light up it's just got not even correctly sized like bulb like in them like they have like the christmas lights but they're huge compared to the letters and it's not like they didn't have space on the ball to make the letters bigger right The alphabet was quite small. The lights were quite big, but they weren't working lights. They didn't light up. It just kind of existed into like, oh, it's Stranger Things. You're going to buy it because it's Stranger yeah. Things. And here's the thing, guys. We're, we were talking about this there, and I'm going to mention it now. It's all of these things we're seeing with Stranger Things that people are like, oh, this is so collectible. Everybody's thinking that. These are just being put out as items for people to collect for collecting's sake and are probably never going to gain value. Like Beanie Babies. Oh, actually, that one hurt my soul a little bit. Some Beanie Babies did gain value. Some (laughs) did. Some. Not the ones. Not not the ones you thought would. Right. I actually have one that gains. I have one that was a misprint that actually does have value, and I have to find it. But one of those iguanas, it had the wrong name printed on it. Oh, that's great. That one's worth money. Yes, because it's it's a rare. It's it's like when you got got the foil Pokemon cards. (laughs) It's like, oh, this will be rare. And they are. (laughs) But apparently, this isn't Stranger Things related. It's Beanie Babies related. Apparently, there was a divorce proceedings. Um, During the 90s, during the Beanie Baby hype, where a couple actually had to sit in front of a judge and divvy up their Beanie Baby collection because of what the estimated value could have been for all of the Beanie Babies. Wow. <laughs> it's one of my favorite stories because it's this old crotchety judge just all looking at them while they're talking with lawyers mitigating about who gets the, the rainbow teddy ba- beanie baby to go into their respective pile out of hundreds. And you, know, was- <laughs> you know how I knew baby, beanie babies were not going to gain money when I was a kid? McDonald's had them. As soon as McDonald's got their grubby little hands on them, it was you know, speaking of grubby little hands, so Dustin, Steve, and Robin at the ice cream parlor, parlor, like I said, was one of my favorite scenes. And the uh, translation was just fun. 
to watch. So it's him and Steve are back there going through it. And Steve's focused on the song, focused on the song. Robin comes back and just basically tells them exactly what their problem is. And they already knew it. They didn't understand that Russian was a different alphabet. And there they are. Mm-hmm. He go- Steve goes and helps Lucas's sister and her friends. And Robin's back there. Her name is there. Erica. Erica and her much. friends. And Robin's back there with Dustin doing the translation. And they actually get get it done. Robin's an MVP. Like the first the first interaction with Robin, I'm like, I don't know what you're gonna do. And then she did stuff. And I'm like, all right, you're up there now. I actually very much enjoy the Robin character. I um, thought she was gonna be comic relief. And while she still is, she's well served comic relief part to the plot. Right. And it's also I like that she rags on Steve because obviously he's down on his luck because he decided not to go to college and he's not working with his dad like they had talked about in season two. And instead, he's working at an ice cream shop where he has to hide his hair, which is his number one attribute, which I'm still so mad he cut off. But it's fine. Okay, over it. It'll be whatever. But, you know, so it's it's nice to see that someone is able to rag on what used to be like the king of the high school. Yeah. And she was a little band nerd. So I liked the I like the the cosmic justice with it. Right. So but then, you know, they're leaving the ice cream parlor. Steve stops at the horse, gets a quarter. They make a joke. He plays it. It's the same song. So they assume that the recordings came from under the mall. Um, so from them, I guess I also kind of want to talk a little bit more about Hopper. Yeah. I okay. So Hopper, I'm just gonna kind of lead it to his interaction with Mercury Yules. I I like how the mayor essentially manipulates him because the mayor did his homework, pulled to see if the permit was pulled, wasn't, and forced Hopper to to do it against Hopper's will because Hopper didn't want to. Right, because Hopper's more on team people and also. Not really doing his job or being the chief of police and being able to do whatever he wants. Whatever he wants is literally nothing. <laughs> At no, least I mean, it's, he wants every to do nothing. I mean, he wants to do whatever he wants and he wants to do nothing. He wins. That's the goal in life. Get paid to do nothing, Nancy. This is true. I get paid not enough to do way too much. Exactly. So... so- but, He's living the dream. You know, Hopper does that. He gets the shirt, and they go to dinner. He's trying to pick out a nice bottle of wine to share with Joyce, so he can tell his his story of how he got Mike to to see his level and <laughs> to give them space. And she stands him up because she's in the garage with the teacher. She was just so focused on Joyce. Is so ADD. Yes, like I'm, I'm diagnosing what's going on. her now. Like, because she, once she finds something, she just, like, hones in and needs to learn everything about it in one single sitting. And I think I noticed, like, that kind of, like, work that she had. Like, in season one, where she's just like, the lights. I'm going to buy every light in town. Right. (laughs) Put them all over my house. Like, and then with all the heaters and everything, we need all the heat possible. Where Joyce is overkill. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> and She's a good Jewish mom. Very much so. Very worried. Very in the now. <laughs> Has to know what's going on at all times. There's no downtime. 
Because the second there's downtime, something bad happens. But Drunk Hopper in the restaurant gets up and then the waiter, sir, you can't leave with that. You can't leave with an open bottle of alcohol. I'm the chief of police. I can do what I want. Best Hopper line. <laughs> Oh, man, this Hopper is my favorite Hopper so far. Like, Yeah, the oh. IDGAF Hopper is best Hopper. Yes, and especially with his super colorful shirt. And, like, I love that his, his secretary is like, really, this is what you wanted me to get? It's not. It's a little colorful for you, it's isn't it? And he's like, cute. I saw it in a catalog. Like, and he's just trying to defend it. Yeah, and it's it in was, fashion. It's hip. It's new. It's 80s, man. Like. All those bright colors. Okay, speaking of fashion and new, I will say I want that 11 romper so bad. I figured. I saw that oh and was my like, God. yeah, that's great. Oh, it's so fucking cute. And Target sold it for the briefest window, and I couldn't get it because the second I went to go buy it, it was out of stock. And I was like, no. <laughs> and they... And then people are like, well, they have the shirt. It's like, I don't want the shirt. I want the romper. Like, why would I buy the shirt when I know a romper exists? Online, homie. I, I was online. I was actually online shopping for it. That desperate for it that I went to the internet to go find it. <sighs> so I want to move from talking about Hopper there. I guess let's talk about Nancy and Jonathan's little thing in here because... This does feel like it should have been in episode one. Right, because we get the like more get the so grab of them. Everything in this episode, this part really feels like it should have just been in episode one. It would have been a better cliffhanger to end on the rat in episode one than Billy's car. Right, because the rat is unfortunately more interesting than Billy's car. Because yes. it's something new that's been introduced into the rules of this universe. Yeah, I, it, that is more interesting to me are these air quote rabid rats. You know, that ate the fertilizer and then she caught one of them. Jonathan's trying to get good pictures of it. And like I had mentioned earlier, it explodes. That goes boom. And then turns into an organic mass and crawls through the bars. Which was so gross. Super yeah. creepy. And the animation on that, I was fairly impressed was with, actually. I, I, I kind of laughed when it started running at the end. Where it was like, okay, I'm scuttling slowly, like, blobbing around slowly, and then went da-da-da-da-da. Yeah, and it, like, got up on all fours like a rat would and just started running. I laughed. I did I did laugh at that. Because it was just over yeah. the top. It, if it had just kind of kept slithering a little faster away, that kind of would have been creepier. Seeing it run broke the creep factor for me. Yeah, because it's like it basically dissolved into nothing. And then all of a sudden it's like, I'm going to move. <laughs> and <laughs> I do like how Nancy's reason for leaving is girl issues. Yeah. Like in the 80s when men ran everything, that was completely acceptable to say. Because they're never going to question it, and I, I don't, and I, and it's still in today's world. If it's you know within reason, you you can still say that and 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 leave. But in the eighties, it was never questioned or never thought of how bad it could be. They're and like and disgusted and leaves and lets her go. Doesn't even oh, yeah. want to deal with it. Doesn't even want to talk about it. Stick it out. Nothing. Whereas in well, twenty nineteen, 
there would at least be a conversation about it. Yeah. On a scale of one to 10, how do you feel that type of conversation? Because if you think you might be able to muscle through it, generally that's what they want to find out. Mm -hmm. But nope, in the eighties, it's girl issues. Oh yeah, go get out of here. We don't need you. You know? Yeah. Gross, gross. Don't all over the place. Gross. Yeah. Just like the amount, I feel like it was such a fitting reaction and just like the amount of uncomfortable that he felt, I could feel that coming through the screen. And it, like, I'm also realistic. Like it made me mad at first. I'm like, wait, this is the 80s. Totally different atmosphere now. That's just how they were. Exactly. And that's why I had to stress it like I did there was in the 80s. This is something you fuck up and this is exactly how it would happen. In 2019, it's not going to be a conversation like that anymore. It's going to be like, oh, are you sure? Did you take your mind all yet? Like, Or if they're going to be people... Generally, female managers going to ask questions like that more as where male manager may ask more probing of, is there something I can do to maybe help you feel better type of things. Yeah, girls are going to be like, do you need some chocolate? Do you need a Midol? I have a heating pad. Yeah, because you're going to do Get your you stay. Yeah. <laughs> of course, also in the society of 2019, I don't know if that's as an acceptable reason that people use to leave work anymore either. No, a lot of it's kids now. <laughs> yeah. Because almost everyone has a kid. Right. So. <laughs> but. That's. So, I, but that was an interesting scene. But again, I just, I feel like that should have been. Like, you could have opened this with Billy getting hit. And gone mid-episode to what happened with him in the Upside Down. And put this whole Nancy Jonathan thing at the end of episode one. And I think that would have told a more cohesive story. Like, I know they jump around. Especially because we've got a lot more characters now that we're in versus just but, like the original four <laughs> but that again leads me to going why didn't they just give episode one 120 minute runtime because netflix said no <laughs> i don't think netflix would have said no or why didn't they you know make this make these chapter one and chapter two parts one part two of the same episode names so you knew that they were together because then i probably would have sat and watched these back to back and had a different experience instead of separating them because they're titled as different episodes. Right. Like I really do feel like this should have been this one needed was should have been mentioned or noted or part one, part two of Susie Did You Copy. So that way it just continues on so you can expect it. And I'm gonna stand on that hill. <laughs> right. But forget about the fact that most people, myself included, binge this entire series usually within a day or two and i've done that for all of them and i know how if you feel that, about binge culture because if that were the case like, netflix would not be turning to the model they're turning to if that was successful and as been people did like you said they did netflix wouldn't be turning to weekly releases and they are well i know that and we've had the conversation about that and how they get more return rates doing it oh this uploads and that's what hulu does too with a lot of it's like hulu original series so it's like i understand the concept behind it but i'm just saying for me i didn't have as much of an issue with it because i just went boom but for you right and watch where you're just watching it when it's required <laughs> yeah basically it's it's different yeah because this still isn't it Stranger Things feels like it's a show that would have that would air on the sci channel. Yeah. And 
And I mean, that's it's the, just, that's I the niche that it's hitting. Is, and as much as, and I enjoy good sci-fi. I do. You know, I love Doctor Who. Not all of it, but I love it. I love the entire thing. That everything, and it's amazing. Um, but this still hasn't sat down and blown me away with something that I haven't expected. Okay. And that's what I want sci-fi sci-fi fantasy shows to do is bring something new to the table. Telling a suspenseful story with kids was done with it with it when it was written, when the first movie was made, and when the most recent movie was made. It was done with Stand By Me. It was done with <laughs> Oh, what the hell's the name of that movie? Not sure. Can't we'll help get there it. eventually. I'll get there eventually. Not in your mind. But I will say that's probably a good place for us to end our discussion of episode two. I mean, we haven't even talked about Billy. Do we need to? I mean, he <laughs> killed a woman. Only in his dreams. No, he fed her to the fucking monster. She's dead. No, I know. <laughs> I know. And, and even if she's not dead, he still killed her as the person she was before she was fed to the monster and turned into whatever he is. Yeah, there you go. Like, really just, it's setting, it. it's again setting Billy up as more of an antagonist, where he was maybe a minor antagonist in the second season. They're setting him up as the major catalyst that, that, that the Mind Flayer is going to go through in this season. And it's just more of what that was. Hey, I will say, I did call that during our prediction episode. You did. So I was very proud of myself. Actually, a decent amount of my predictions are are holding okay. Some of them I was way off. But we'll see. I actually would have to go back and listen to my predictions because I made predictions about a show I didn't care about. So I'm curious. Fair enough. <laughs> you could have really you know said anything. Best. Yeah, you know what the best part of this is? Is people are going to listen to this and think I'm just shitting on Stranger Things to shit on it. But the point, the the thing is, I'm not just shitting on it to shit on it. I'm giving legitimate opinion based on something that's really not an interest of mine. Right, and you've you've said like you enjoy watching it. It's just yeah, you have it's, to be it's able an to critique something. It's an it's an entertaining watch. But if I'm going to bring this to our platform like this, I'm gonna have to critique it. Just wait Everything till next gets week's review. Just wait till the, review, the movie review next week. Ooh, I'm so excited for that. That's going to be so because much fun. It is one that I will sit here and criticize, and I will do the same thing, though it's a movie that I picked for us to watch. <laughs> yes, I'm very excited. So look forward to that, because it's going to be a fun ride. Season of Spoop is here. Oh. Yes. In fact... I think we're going to keep being spoopy. And more spook we have today. And one of my favorite spoopy things to just investigate and just read about are unsolved mysteries and unsolved murders. I wish I remembered the theme song to that show. I watched the crap out of unsolved mysteries with him just like walking in with like his trench coat like suit and just telling us about. All of the mysteries of the world. I, I was a strange child because I watched that when I was far too young to watch it. But oh, I watched it. I, I I used to watch Unsolved Mystery as a kid. I did. For me, it was Unsolved Mysteries and Tales from the. Yeah, I so, watched if you it. Know <laughs> when like Robert 
I watched it when Robert Stack was hosting it. Same. <laughs> I don't think I ever watched it after Robert Stack. I did. I watched it all. But... <laughs> I watched the entire, the entire, I don't know what you'd call it. Filmography? The entire series? All of it. I couldn't get enough because I like the unexplained. I like the mystery behind things. One of my favorite moments, this is, has nothing to do with fact, I'm going to take away from Foop for a minute, is when they did the Unsolved Mysteries in Basketball. And it's Joseph <laughs> R. Cooper left his home. Nobody knows where he went. And then it shows him later on does what he does. And he comes back going, everyone's still wondering, where the fuck is this guy? And <laughs> it's actually him in, in the movie, too, which is great. Trench coat. Now. I I very much enjoyed that movie. We We watched it together and I had never seen it up until that point, and it has become one of my favorite things to talk about because I just enjoyed it so much. We will review that movie after Spoopy Season. Yes, that'll be a good after Spoopy Season movie to review. We can rewatch it now that I've watched it for the first time. And I don't I know if I actually need to rewatch it to talk about this movie anymore. I mean, I do. I've only seen it once. <laughs> Give your girl some support. Jeez. Um... Just, just, yeah, so just remember, roadkill. <coughs> oh, no. Oh, no. <coughs> and Dale Earnhardt in the taxi cab. God, I love that movie. I don't have your fucking ball. <laughs> so, you, you caused a coughing fit because I'm still recovering over I'm, being sicker than a dog. Um, I'm, I'm derailing your again. unsolved mysteries. I'm sorry. It's fine. This, this entire this entire thing it's just conversation that's what we're doing but i'll bring it back so this unsolved mystery inspired a book actually um a book i've read but don't remember anything about because i read it for school and i'm going to be talking about the brutal murder of the walker family in 1959 okay yes so Back in December 19th, 1959, the entire Walker family was brutally murdered in their home of Osprey, Florida. Of course, Florida, because everything happens in Florida. And 23, oh, I'm sorry, 24-year-old Christine Walker was raped before being shot to death, while her husband, Cliff, who was 25 at the time, and their children, three-year-old Jimmy and one-year-old Demi, Debbie, were all shot to death. And no one knows who murdered them. Bum, bum, bum. Right. And I mean, we're, we're obviously preaching into the 60s, so it, it's still within some people's lives of this murder happening. So it, it's a fairly, it's not recent, like 80s recent, but it's still, people are alive still that were around when this happened. Before we move on, I do want to fact check you real quick. This is not the murder that inspired in Cold Blood. But it is. No, even the article says that this was not um, the crime. The slaying of the Clutter family is the case that inspired the book in Cold Blood. Well, I'll actually, I'll dig into that. Because... It's in the or I'm looking at it in the article. No, I know. But I'm, I'll, I'll hop into that then because they believe the cases are related. 
Yes, it could have been the same murderer, perchance, but... And I do remember this in the book, and it also specifies this in, in the article that we're reading, that Truman Capote, who wrote In Cold Blood, actually talks about the murderer of the Clutter family not being the murderers of the Walker family, even though the police force believed that that was the case because of the alibis that they had. Right. But that doesn't necessarily mean this inspired the book. Murders are murders. (laughs) <laughs> Correct. Murder is a murder. However, I think he focused on this in the book because since they were trying to tie these two murderers to the same murder, that Capote actually had the um had it that no, they didn't because of the, their alibis that he was able to check out because he was writing a book about him. If there's one thing when you're writing a book, you got to be factual. Depends on the book because I don't know if you've ever read Twilight, but that well, book's I mean, not factual. No, that's fiction, though. Murder well, fiction and fiction are two completely different genres to begin with, though. I think murder is its own category. Thank you very much. But I'll say, in terms of fiction, Stephanie Meyer was still wrong because they. No, Twilight shit. Vampires don't sparkle. <laughs> uh, Twilight See? shit. Or- to this day, I have never seen a Twilight movie. Me either. Not worth it. Nope. So. Get back but now we to, have Sparkle Batman. We do have Sparkle Which I don't... We'll have feelings on another day. By the way, Sparkle um, Batman is the name of my... my uh, Is the name of my My Little Pony parody cartoon. Look for it coming soon. Oh my goodness. Sorry. Cough had me. <laughs> Laughing and coughing. It's not fun. You heard it, guys. You heard it here. I broke Nancy. You did. It's not the first time you broke me, though. But not the worst broke you've ever broken me. Giggity? No. No, we're not giggitying that. I mean, unfortunately, it kind of leaves itself to it. (laughs) (sighs) No. Like, if I didn't say it, our listeners would. This is true. We've attracted that kind of audience, I'd say. Including the one guy in Chile. So, my dude. So, Chilean. So, my Chilean. So, to get back to the walkers here. um, they, They did find some clues. They found a bloody cowboy boot and a fingerprint on the handle of the bathtub faucet, which is a very interesting place for, I guess, a murderer to go grab. Maybe he was falling over while he had to pee in the house? Oh, because life alerts, like, wasn't a thing when this was a thing. So that makes and sense. And there was testing for urine samples of DNA. Right. Things have changed. It was much easier to get away with crime back in the day than now. It's almost like people still do it. It's different levels of crime. I think it's the... Like, everything is all, like, deep, dark web crime. And then we're just up here, like, hello. Yeah, we're up here with the common street thugs. 
Yeah. And a lot of them will just get caught because they decided to brag about it on Facebook and Instagram. <laughs> so that's where we are. But Facebook and Instagram wasn't a thing in 1959. So they found these clues and they had or this case specifically, and they still couldn't crack it. Hmm. Right. So you got to think, like, a lot of cases will have effects because they fit a description profile. They, you know, were around the area at the same time. There's circumstantial evidence, you know, enough to get, like, a pool of, at the most, I'll say 15 people. And that's being generous. But for over 500 suspects, and you couldn't get one, basically. <laughs> gotcha. So, <laughs> apparently, back in 2010, mm-hmm. the Sarasota, yeah, Sarasota County Sheriff's Office took another crack at the murder case. So, and that's where it ties in the murderer from the Clutter family from In Cold Blood. So that's where it ties back into, was once it was revisited. So, about a month before the Walker family slaying occurred, the Clutters were killed in their home in Holcomb, Kansas, by Perry Smith and Richard Dick Hickok. What a name. (laughs) Dick Hickok. Yeah, Dick Hickok. Um, okay. So. <laughs> it's art, honestly. But the Cutter case bore similarities to the Walker case. Quadruple homicides. Both parents and two children were slaughtered in both cases. Um, apparently, there were some other children with the Clutter case to escape because they weren't there at the time. So there's that. Um, but it is speculated that the Hickok, that Hickok and Smith fled to Florida in a stolen car while they were on their way, well, while they were in Saratoga, which was not too far away from where the walkers were living. And okay. they were, and the cars that Hickok and Smith had stolen was the very same make and model that the walkers were trying to buy at the time. So there is a connection there because they speculate that this may have been how they got access to the walkers' home because maybe they wanted to get rid of the stolen car. But how would they have known that they were... But how would they have known that? Well, not that the... Not that the um, Dick... Dick Hickok and Smith would have known about it. But if people are like asking around, because you got to think it's a. So people are like, oh, I'm looking for like this kind of car. And they're going to Sarasota. It's like, and oh, I'm looking for this car. It's a lot of word of mouth. It's like, oh, you're new in town. This person's looking for that car. Sell it. People talked. So that's maybe how they found each other was just, like, through the grapevine. 
Maybe. Like, so, I've, I've done some reading on this, a little bit ahead here. Um, okay. So, what it says here is that in December of 2012, Sarasota County Sheriff's Department requested a court order to exhume the bodies of Hickok and Smith in order to run DNA. Yay for DNA testing. Huzzah. Um, so, yeah, they decided to run it in an attempt to connect them to the Walker family murders. So the bodies were exhumed on December, er, um, December 18th, 2012. But it wasn't until August of 2013 that the results were announced. And unfortunately, they proved inconclusive. It says due to the passage of time, only partial samples could be retrieved from the bodies, and those samples could not be matched to samples taken from the Walker home. So it's hypothetical that they're still connected to it. I could I could see why because the murders were very similar. It was it was similar and again it was back to that circumstantial evidence. Which is why they talked about it in Cold Blood. Well, or, in Cold Blood he discusses it a little bit, but ultimately he concludes, several pages. Like that's like enough. And like I had said, like he had said he doesn't believe they're the killers because they had alibis at the time. Correct. And Correct. Ultimately, he concludes that they're not connected. So he talks about it because of the similarity to the murders, I'm sure. But I don't mm -hmm. think his intent talking in there was to clear or connect them to it. It was more of to discuss the similarities between them and then his own evidence of they did have alibis. And I would yeah. assume that those alibis had been checked. Well, most people check alibis when you take them. Not everybody but <laughs> that's mean, typically the best practice. An author of that stature probably checked them. Yeah. Yeah, you know, did their research, knew how to write. So, so now subsequent but, investigations apparently have revealed holes in their since then. And that polygraph tests of the era were notoriously unreliable. I still think polygraph tests are unreliable oh. in today's modern era. See, that was my exact next sentence right there. Because so that's not they, something that changed. You can cheat a polygraph test. You just think about math. Do simple math in your head. Just relax. You're good to go. Because it's all just like heart rate. That's basically what it is. Yeah. But yes. So since the since the suspected murders, Hitchcock and Smith were not proven to be there. Like they they couldn't get. Concrete evidence that it was them. The mystery is still unsolved. Because everything's hypothetical. So they announced that in August of 2013. There was no connection. So the cases run dry again. So we'll never truly know who got away with murder with the walkers. So here's the... So the comments here have someone who commented... You know, I had no idea there had been similar murders committed after the Clutter family. And then a comment underneath it, it says similar only in the extent that they were another family, another nuclear family. The Walker family murders were most likely committed by someone who knew them or at least knew the adult female. Apparently, it's believed that the culprit was waiting outside their home or were allowed entry inside when the mother returned or something on her own to put away. It's this year after which she put away groceries, hung up her coat. Neighbors reported an unknown vehicle in the driveway on the day of the murders. How does that person know that she put away groceries and hung up her coat? <laughs> yeah, right? Like, how do you know the nitty-gritty of this? 
I mean, I'm sure there's plenty of articles on this other than what we found here. Oh, yes. 100%. Because yes, it's very well talked about. But it's just an interesting little facet of history where we'll, we'll never truly know what happened. We can only speculate. Yes, we can only speculate. But that's just a theory. A murder theory. <laughs> Woo, murder theory. <laughs> Let's go from talking about murder, Nancy, to talking about one of my favorite things. Okay. I finally got you to let us do it. We're going to have a sports podcast. We've become a sports podcast. We okay. have. See, but hey. We're a sports podcast. <laughs> at least for a segment. Yeah. Good news, everyone. We're sports now because I finally let it happen. So now we're just going to become a sports podcast. So strap no. in. <laughs> it's not. So I guess let me set up the parameter of what we're calling the sports thing. It's been a big day for it's... this particular sport. Sports thing is going to be when relevant things happen in the sports world that bear attention. Big moments that deserve attention. Big big games that maybe deserve attention and have relevancy to history nerds out there like myself who love baseball statistics and history. Or sports history. Player history. Hall of Fame stuff. Things like that might be things we cover. Not every month. Not every week. Just every so when often we'll be talking sports. And it if happens. enough it's people like, like... Just when it happens. Well, <laughs> you know, it's always fun when it does. Um, but like enough people <laughs> with sports. Um, if enough of y'all enjoy hearing us talk about sports, maybe we'll do a little spin-off sports show. I'm not going to keep continuing sports on the main thing all the time. But maybe we'll spin off some sports stuff if y'all really want to hear it. That being said, today was game 162 of the baseball season. It's the final day of baseball before postseason starts. And oh boy, was it a season. Congratulations to fans of the Oakland A's, Tampa Bay Rays, New York Yankees, Minnesota Twins, our hometown Astros. Um, if you're an Atlanta Braves fan, a Dodgers fan, a Nationals fan, a Cardinals fan, or a Brewers <laughs> fan. Congratulations, your team made the playoffs. For the that rest of you out there. Like me? Welcome Hi. to the postseason. Nancy, I want to talk about your Cubs for a minute because your Cubs were in that wild card up until they went on a seven-game losing streak to end the season. Because it's the Cubs. Don't you know how this works? By now, because you got your one. <laughs> I do. How does it feel? Wait. You know what? I'll take it. I will never in a hundred million in a hundred and eight years will I ever besmirch the one that we got because it was one for a hundred and eight years, and I live to see it. I'm just here for the ride now. If it happens again, great. But if not, that's the Cubs. I think that's how <laughs> Red Sox fans felt back in '04 when the Red Sox won. Um, for the first time in 86 years at that point, was, hey, we, uh, we lived long enough to see one, and we'll be happy with that. And then they became the team of these early aughts. 
like first two decades so far of the new millennium, the Red Sox have been the team to beat. Yeah, I'm, I'm hoping the Cubs rally for that one day. Um, they fired Joe Madden, so. <laughs> yes, they came, Joe Madden got come to terms with, and he is no longer man. Clint Hurdle is no longer going to be managing the Pirates. Uh, Ned Yost retired, manager of the Kansas City Royals. Um, a couple of others as well. Um, who else? Yeah, enough. A lot of, enough on that. Um, yeah, Ned Yost. A bunch of managers changed, just like any year. We'll be seeing more happen. I guess my question I want to ask you, though, is do you think Joe Madden will coach the Anaheim Angels next year. I know this is something that we talked about today. Because I know you said that it would make the most logical sense. But I don't think so. Because he's from Pittsburgh, right? I think that's my understanding. I from, yeah, I think I believe he's from Pennsylvania. I don't think he's from Pittsburgh. I think he's just from Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. So you've okay. got two cities in Pennsylvania that may or may not be looking for a manager we don't know what the Phillies are going to do exactly so my my bet is Pennsylvania and it's also because he's an older man he does have a world series under his belt and maybe he just wants to take it home before calling it so here's why I think he's going to the angels okay Mike Trout that sounds like I'm not even saying anything after that. Mike Trout. Mike Trout is the best player in baseball. He is the best player of his generation. And I will sit here and bang the drum that he is, honestly, he is the best overall base player in baseball. I'm going to talk a little bit about that at length here in a minute when I talk about the MVP. But okay. Mike Trout's the best player in the game. If he plays and full he's seasons, on the Angels? he's on the Angels. They also have a decent decent pitching core. They have some offensive power. They could be a really good team with the right manager. Brad Osmus is not that manager. Yep. And, and I like think I said, Joe Madden good. has something he has something under his belt now. Like he can do it. Mike Trout <laughs> has been in baseball about about ten years. He's a Hall of Fame player already. Okay. He's a first ballot Hall of Famer if, a world, if he wins a World Series. And if Joe Madden wins another World Series with a different team and with Mike Trout, that puts him in the Hall of Fame as a manager. Yeah, because then it just wasn't like a one-off. Because he made it to the World Series with the A's, sorry, the Rays, and lost. But he still made it. But he made it. And then he made it and won with the the Cubbies. So So if he moves on to... Angels that to be and that would be a good finale to his career. Could be a decent one for sure. So really what I based this on the premise of was to talk about some statistics and some okay. records. That was really I think how I approached you about it. That got you on board. So let's go into some of that for you. So that way I can at least kick yeah. to what I promised you. Yes. Hey, I don't appreciate the shade that you're throwing at me. <laughs> We're not going to talk about what that shade is about on the podcast, but like, (laughs) I feel you. 
So thanks for that. <laughs> You're welcome. I don't know. Anyway. So okay, on to a three hour diatribe. Let's go. Not gonna be that long. So we had a couple of things happen. We had some major league baseball records set and broken and set again in the same season. Ooh, always great. So in the month of May, there were 1,135 home runs hit, which set a new major league record for the most in a month. Previous record was August 2017, was 1,119. In June, there was 1,142 home runs hit. And then just in August, there was 1,228 home runs hit in baseball. Jesus. <laughs> in, that, in that month. So that is currently the single month record. A new major league record for most home runs in a season was set on September 11, when Jonathan Villar of the Baltimore Orioles had a go-ahead three-run home run in the bottom of the seventh inning against the Dodgers. The home run was the 6,106th home run league-wide of the season, breaking the previous record of 6,105 home runs that was set two years ago in 2017. So think about that. That was in September, uh, on September 11th, when there was still a couple weeks left in the season. That number's up more now. That's ridiculous, though. For the 12th straight season, Major League Baseball has set a new record for the most strikeouts in a single season. First time in MLB history, four teams finished with 100 or more wins in the same season. Those teams are the Astros, Dodgers, Yankees, and Twins. Damn. This year, there we got the second pair of teammates in Major League history to record 300 or more strikeouts in the same season. Garrett Cole and Justin Verlander of the Astros joining Kurt Schilling and Randy Johnson, who did it for the Diamondbacks in 2002. Justin Verlander got his 3,000th career strikeout this year. 3,000th? 3,000th for his career, which was the most... Okay, I watched this live... <laughs> Being an Astros fan, I watched this live the other night, and it was the most Astros way to get this strikeout. So what happened? So I'm going to preface this with a story about about 12 years ago now. Watching the game where Craig Biggio got his 3,000th hit. He hits the ball in the center field. Gets to first, and in stereotypical fashion, tries to stretch his single into a double and gets thrown out at second. <laughs> So his 3,000th okay. career hit was an out. That's beautiful. That's like Justin Verlander baseball poetry. Got a swinging strikeout of Cole Calhoun on a ball in the dirt that the catcher couldn't grab. Cole Calhoun got to go up, go to first base as a strikeout. But wait, there's more. On the immediate following pitch, a two-run home run. Wow. <laughs> That That's is the most though. Astros thing. But that is the most Houston sports thing that could have happened. And any Houston sports people listening will understand exactly how that, what that means. You know, being here for almost seven years now? Definitely. <laughs> because monumental achievement followed by a big old fuck you. <laughs> Speaking of Garrett Cole, Major League Records set today. He started another game with 10 or more strikeouts. Ninth consecutive double-digit strikeout game, which is a Major League. Wow. So, 
there was that, which was pretty pretty good today. Um, also, his 20th win in the season, him and Verlander becoming one of the very few pairs to actually do that together on a team. Um, Astros are actually also the first team ever to lead baseball in most pitching strikeouts with 1,671 season-wide and the fewest hitting strikeouts at 1,166 strikeouts entire season. Damn. Never happened. They, they came to play. Speaking of the Astros, while we're talking about them, this team also threw two no-hitters. This- Which is always monumental to see. So, so the good. first one being a combined no-hitter on Aaron Sanchez's first game back. Or first game with us, rather. Not first game back. Um, on his first game with the Astros, they combined to throw 12th no-hitter in Astros history. So it was Aaron Sanchez followed by Will Harris, Joe Biagini, and Chris Davinsky. And then, I think it was like, Less than three weeks later, Justin Verlander threw his third career no-hitter against the Blue Jays, who ironically also threw his last no-hitter there. Oh, wow. He's the first person to ever in Major League history to throw multiple no-hitters at the same visiting park. That's amazing. He's also the sixth player in Major League history to throw at least three no-hitters, joining Nolan, Ryan, Sandy Koufax, Bob Feller, Larry Corcoran, and Cy Young. He's the 18th player in Major League history with 3,000 strikeouts. The Astros still have him for two more years. Two more no-hitters were thrown this year. Mike Fires threw his second career no-hitter in the 13th in the franchise history of the Oakland Athletics by defeating the Cincinnati Reds. You want to know a fun fact? What's up? My first Astros game was actually when they played the Oakland Athletics. I think I was year two here in Houston. And we were on the Athletics side. And it was when the Athletics absolutely spanked the Astros. So to hear this now, like, like well, see where the Astros were compared to now, just for so, me not living here. But that's a fun fact. Yeah, I went to a lot of games back when the Astros lost a lot of games in those hundred lost seasons. I did. They were easy to come by tickets. Mike Fires pitched and threw his first career no hitter with the Astros in 2015. Proud of him. That's so, fantastic. The other no hitter was a very emotional no hitter. Um, the Angels had a player die during the season. Tyler Skaggs on July 1st passed away. Their first game home after his death, they all wore the number 45 on their jersey. And Taylor Cole and Felix Pena combined to throw a no hitter. That's that's emotional. <laughs> like, that's that's like how the Astros won because it was a huge trip. Yeah. And it's like someone died and they do a no hitter because no one's hitting that ball. No, that's not what he would have wanted. Oh, my heart. <laughs> Couple of other things to touch upon here. We've got some, we'll talk about the batting side of things since we've talked about pitching for a while. Paul Goldschmidt became the first player in Major League history to hit three home runs in either his first or second game with a new team. That's actually interesting to hear that because he's 
I mean, that baseball being 150 years old, it's the first time that happened. Uh, <laughs> Zach Granke. The pitcher that the Astros traded for in the middle of the year started with the Diamondbacks. Became the first pitcher since 1930 to have five extra base hits through the team's first 26 games. He was also the first pitcher since 1906 to hit for the cycle. Really? He's also was the oldest pitcher to hit multiple home runs in this. That's an all around good player right there. And yeah, um, let's see some other things that we had happen. Albert Pujols got his 2000th career RBI with a home run in the third inning of the toy against the Tigers on May 9th. He got his 650th career double on July 7th against the Astros. Okay. He got his 650th career home run on July 28th against the Orioles. And he became the all-time hits leader among players born outside of the United States with his 3,167th hit on August 14th. Well then, that is a Hall of Famer. You and you weren't kidding when you said a lot of stuff happened this season because Jesus, (laughs) baseball's seen an evolution this year. Jordan Alvarez, rookie sensation of the Houston Astros, with his with a home run on June fifteenth against the Blue Jays, tied a major league record by hitting four by at least four home runs in his first five career games. And on July 22nd, he became the first player in Major League history to have 35 RBIs in his first 30 career games since RBIs became a statistic in 1920. Wow. Ladies and gentlemen, that's going to be your American League Rookie of the Year. Calling it now. Because. And. Mike Trout. We're going to end off player stats with Mike Trout because we're going to talk about the MVP for a moment and then I want to hear all about your PSA. Yes, please, because this PSA is a doozy. (laughs) So, August 31st, Mike Trout made history by becoming the youngest player ever at 28 years old, 24 days, to join the 200-200. It's 200 home runs, 200 stolen bases. That record was previously held by Barry Bonds. It was 28, 349 days. See, and that is, that's some classic history baseball right there. Barry Bonds is. So, Mike Trout is the overall best player in baseball. So I want to ask you a question. Okay. Does the fact that he's the best overall player in baseball mean that he's the most valuable player in baseball or in the league? No. And the reason I say that is because you can have a fantastic player that does all these great things. But when, when you think of value, it's someone that has like a little packet. It is, so, it is one that has made the biggest difference in the season for baseball. Do you think 
numbers have something to do with that. And the reason I ask is Mike Trout has outstanding numbers. He leads the league in a couple of categories and barely played the month of September with injury. He's still hit 45 home runs. He's still had high RBI numbers, a high OPS, a high RBI number, everything. He had a decent average. Okay, but you also need to think about the team that he's on. Like, So does team... So does the fact... so? I'll give you my argument. I'm trying to play devil's advocate here. Um, does the fact that he's on a team like the Angels that's not a playoff team, do you think that takes away from that value, though maybe he is still a valuable player to that team? So let's say like in the month of eight, in the month of September without Mike Trout, the Angels had a horrible record. Do you think they would have avoided a 90-loss season had Mike Trout played the rest of the year? And if so, does that create him be having value? I mean, yes, because when you look at value, it's, you know, the most beneficial to, it's just like a value in business. Like, what all can they bring to the table? And yes, he's, he's a fantastic star, but when it comes to actually getting a team to move along, and on the plus side, Less than 90 losses is what you said, right? Yeah. So that is a huge improvement to the team overall. And if they were in the playoffs, I think it would have been a different story, yes, because usually they don't market MVPs that aren't in the playoffs. Well, and I know that, Mike and Trout that's like with lot. any. Mike Trout's won MVPs and never, and, and playoffs. That's not anything. Any more to voters, it's not even that. So. The MVP award has turned from the most valuable player award to the best overall player award. And Mike Trout is on his way to another MVP. I, I know this. But I'm going to stump just a moment for Alex Bregman, who played two positions this year, was the consistent bat in a lineup that lost Carlos Correa, Jose Altuve, and George Springer for the better part of a month. Still produced, was the man on the team. Moved from the position he was playing to play short to fill in for Correa while he was out, so they had a confident shortstop. And has put up MVP-like numbers. Ultimately, it's probably going to end up being Mike Trout, but I think Alex Bregman deserves it. See, but that's, that's more or less what I'm saying about value. He's an adaptable player. Even the pitcher that you had mentioned that was able to pitch but then was also batting in cycles, and well, Zach Greinke runs. plays for the Astros. He's not going to be an MVP candidate. He's more well, of a... But what I'm saying is, is that he provides value to the team. And sports these days aren't versatile. And I will argue this with basketball any day of the week. You know, players are bred to the positions that they play for. And it's hard-pressed now to see a player that's able to manipulate between two sometimes three, you know, and be able to be adaptable for the betterment of the team. And to me, that provides more as a player because look at where the Astros are. I, I honestly think the Astros, yeah, I don't think the Astros are a hundred win team with Bregman. Um, I do kind of, as an Astros fan, it does sound homerish for me to say it, but I think without Alex Bregman, the Astros may potentially have not won the division against the A's. 
And that's where you look at it is Alex Bregman's value is without that player, the team would not have been ex- where they are at all. They wouldn't have the number one seed without Alex Bregman. They wouldn't have home field advantage through the playoffs, through the World Series without Alex Bregman. Right. They wouldn't have and- won the division without Alex Bregman stepping up. He's got great talent around him. George Springer missed a month and hit 39 home runs still. If he had played the whole season, we'd be saying this conversation between those two. Just like we're going to talk about the Cy Young between this between. I mean, the Astros are winning the Cy Young. We just don't know who it is. Okay. You can't deny that Garrett Cole or Justin Verlander deserves that American League Cy Young with one has through a no hitter, 300 strikeouts. The other one, 320 something strikeouts or 316 strikeouts. Both won 20 games. That's a toss-up. But MVP, I think Alex Bregman deserves it. But before I derail us any more into the sports territory, Miss Nancy. <laughs> yes, because you've derailed us heavily. But you know it's what? Been a We've got a nice 30-minute sports segment out of the way. So to those whose teams <laughs> are in the playoffs, happy postseason. To just Cubs remember, fans just like me, it's still fun to watch. <laughs> just remember that World Series comes through Houston one way or another. PSA me up. Yes, so our PSA. (laughs) So our PSA has to do with the world of the internet. Corey, have you ever online dated? Yes. Give me... (laughs) You sounded so like... What? (laughs) Give me a little bit of your experience. I mean, I didn't... I didn't really I mean I didn't look for anything long term well I what what site did you use I'm curious because I've online data and I've used a couple uh I don't know real real fish kind of guy no it was a long time there was a thing on Facebook years ago that I was playing around with Facebook actually has a dating service I just want to put that out there and it was they do and I don't know if it's the same thing now that it was then because when I did this, this was the world before Tinder. Right. Like, this is when I think, you know, you could think it was like, I don't remember. I honestly don't remember what it was called, but yeah, it was on Facebook. You could swipe over to it and like send messages and stuff. Okay. So I was an okay Cupid kind of guy. <laughs> I. Oh, fun. Yeah. That was, that was the bulk of it. I will say, I did make some very great friends out of OkCupid. People I, I still talk to to this day. I did try J-Date once. Really? It's a bit before my time. I mean, you don't know what J-Date is? I know what it is. It's the Jewish dating service. <laughs> did you find you a nice Jewish lady? I mean, you, you've seen how my life is, did I? No, you found the exact opposite. <laughs> so, no, it did not work out. And that's when I decided I was just going to find what made me happy. Yep, that's the best way to do it. So, and that was a benefit for me for OkCupid, okay right? It's like I found people to enjoy my life. even, And I did Tinder for a little while. And it was a shit show. 
And we were friends during that shit show. I'm sorry. No, it's fine. But just some really bad dates that had come out of Tinder. Tinder. And some sure. of bad dates. Apparently, the FTC is suing Match.com over false advertising. So those falling in love for the rest of your life, perfect match ads, are just a bunch of bullshit. <laughs> Who would have thought? Yeah, I mean, who'd have thought that you might get bot ads on an online dating site? Oh. What? And that's my shock. You know, and it's funny too, because the more I think about it, like OG subscription sites. Mm -hmm. too. Like, because it's like, around. oh, you just, yeah, it's been around like, for like Match and eHarmony are like the top two sites I remember hearing about all the time. Right. They had commercials like when we, we were still in school, like they yep. had commercials for it and it's still around, but those commercials have come back to bite them. And also, apparently, a lot of consumers, specifically hundreds of thousands of um, subscribed after getting communications from fake profiles. So they oh. use the fake profiles to get them hooked for it falls off on the wayside. And that's where the false advertising like ammunition for the lawsuit is coming from. So you're telling me that they're suing them because they used bots to send emails out in a phishing scam, essentially, to get you to come into their site, basically. Not really phishing in the technical sense, but they're phishing for you to get, give them views. Yes, and the article is calling it cat phishing. <laughs> oh jeez. Okay. Um, which I mean, catfishing is a little bit different, and apparently, there's also um, scammers that would catfish on the website as well. So it became obviously because you got to think it's a dating service where people are kind of lonely, they're feeling downtrodden, they can't meet people in real life, so they turn to the internet. Are you saying they're down, depressed, and lonely? I may. I might be. <laughs> you know, I know a place that they can go. Where could they go? 22 Acacia Avenue. <laughs> See some ladies that we know. All right, if you say any more, we might get copyright trucks. I gotta cut you off. <laughs> yeah, I might keep just quoting that song at this point because it's just too easy. Oh, yeah, it fits perfectly, honestly. So, apparently, there were trying to romance users and all of the money scammed equaled $143 million in 20 That's wow. so much money. That's so many desperate people looking for love and all. You could say they're going down. All the wrong places. I, I don't know any more of the song than that. You could say they're going down. But not in an earlier round. <laughs> <laughs> I was impressed with myself with that one. You're welcome. <laughs> Chichi. That was, I'll give you that. You have impressed. Okay. So, basically, don't believe what you see on the internet or on TV. Because I've known Match.com could have not. Online dating usually doesn't end well. If you've happened to have met 
the love of your life on any online dating service. Good for you. But it doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. But not normally. No. And honestly, this is more, more of a, what's the word I want to use? Motivation, I guess. Yeah. More of a motivation for people to maybe just go to Tinder because at least what you see is what you get. <laughs> and I think Tinder's really just turned into one big joke. So PSA of the day is sponsor us Tinder. Yes. Hashtag sponsor us Senpai Tinder. I used your service. I'll talk about the dates I went on. <laughs> they didn't work. 